Welcome to the Immortal Souls Podcast, where we explore the history, stories, myths, legends, and hype that make shoes what they are today. We are Jared and Nick, two brothers with a passion for shoes. We are excited to have you along for the journey. April 11th, 1967. It's a predictably cool spring night at Municipal Field in Kansas City, Missouri, opening day for the Kansas City Athletics. The Athletics, starting what would be their last season in Kansas City, are facing off against the Cleveland Indians in this season opening campaign, an evening affair where the 20,590 spectators excitedly craned their necks to catch a glimpse of the reigning Miss America, Jane Ann J. Rowe of Oklahoma, throw out the ceremonial first pitch. Then, just after 7 o'clock p.m., the real action began. Kansas City's starting pitcher for the game, Jim Nash, winds up to hurl the first pitch of the game to Cleveland's leadoff batter, Vic Davalio. After pausing for just a moment in his wind-up motion, Nash lets his pitch fly from his fingers, the ball hurtling towards home plate and Davalio like a leather rocket. Immediately, Joe Adcock, manager of the Cleveland Indians, storms from the visitors' dugout onto the field, seeking out and confronting umpire Larry Knapp. Oh, yeah, a wise guy, eh? Adcock is furious sputtering through his rage that, at the very least, he is playing this game under protest. In baseball, managers can protest a game when they allege that the umpires have misapplied the rules. The umpires must be notified of the protest at the time the play in question occurs and before the next pitch or attempted play begins. And that is exactly what Joe Adcock was doing. But what was it? exactly, that got Joe Adcock so hot under the collar, that he would declare a protest that put the season-opening game temporarily on pause after just one pitch. To better understand, we will have to take a few steps back into time, about a hundred years back into time, to the mid-19th century, about a hundred years before this outcry in Kansas City, back when baseball was a fledgling sport just starting to blossom as a widespread pastime in America. Before the Civil War, baseball competed for public interest with cricket and regional variants of baseball, notably town ball, played in Philadelphia, and the Massachusetts game, played in New England. In the 1860s, aided by the war, New York-style baseball expanded into a national game. As its first governing body, the National Association of Baseball Players was formed. The NAWBP soon expanded into a true national organization, although most of the strongest clubs remained those based in the northeastern part of the country. 
By the end of 1865, almost 100 clubs were members of the NAWBP. By 1867, it had ballooned to over 400 members, including some clubs as far away as California. As baseball became more official and professional clubs and leagues began cropping up around the nation, there began to be a more standardized approach to the game in everything from the rules and equipment to the uniforms, and that included baseball shoes. Little is known about the very earliest baseball shoes. Most likely, they were identical to general athletic shoes of the mid-19th century. High tops, with simple canvas uppers and no spikes. As canvas tended to break down where creases formed, baseball shoes of the 1870s incorporated portions made of leather. Spalding's Chicago Club shoe was the first real foray into a combined leather canvas upper, and Spalding claimed that the shoe was the same as used by the Chicago and other league clubs. The first all-leather shoe made available by Spalding was the calfskin League Club shoe, first offered in 1882 for $6 per pair. By the end of the decade, Spalding had introduced an all-kangaroo leather shoe available for $7 per pair. Strong, soft, and remarkably durable, kangaroo leather remained a popular material for baseball shoes throughout much of the 20th century. Beginning with the introduction of the all-leather baseball shoe in the 1880s, baseball shoes generally remained black or dark brown for a long, long time. All the way until 1967, that is, when those upstart Kansas City Athletics debuted solid white cleats with green trim and green laces on opening day against the Cleveland Indians. It was the first time a major league team had ever ventured outside of the long-standing tradition of black and dark brown cleats. And this did not sit well with Joe Adcock. Ultimately, Adcock's protest that the white cleats were a distraction to his hitters was a lost cause. The American League had already okayed the white shoes before the game. The Athletics had received permission from the American League president, Joe Cronin, and also from Cal Hubbard, the league's supervisor of umpires, to wear the colorful footwear. The Athletics manager, Alvin Dark, defended the choice of shoe color. He said, A pitcher has both feet on the ground when he releases the ball. A hitter is going to be following the ball, not the shoes. Also, the new colors were not exactly a surprise. After all, a picture of Jim Nash decked out in the new duds had appeared on a Sports Illustrated cover during spring training, obviously prior to this opening day game. So, the protest was overruled, Vic Davalio stepped back into the batter's box, and the game was played. Davalio overcame the white cleat problem when he smacked the ball, flying out in deep center field and becoming the first recorded out by a pitcher wearing white shoes. The Athletics would eventually go on to win the game 4-3. Though club members were derided by opposing players for the new look, the Athletics have worn white shoes ever since 1967. The white cleats have even become part of some of the team's official logos. 
and those white cleats paired with white, gold, and green uniforms are easily one of the most iconic, beautiful, and recognizable looks in Major League Baseball. The controversy over the Athletics' white shoes eventually faded, and cleats, as well as uniforms, of all colors became a big part of the game. Club after club hopped on the Athletics' colorful bandwagon, adopting shoes of other colors starting in the late 1960s, with solid red and solid blue being the favorite colors. Now, more than ever, major sports are loosening their hold more and more on the footwear athletes can wear, allowing for greater personal and creative expression. And Joe Adcock, Cleveland's manager who was so hot and bothered over white cleats? Well, that 1967 season was his first and only season managing the Indians, or managing in the major leagues at all. He led the Indians to their worst record in over 20 years in an 8th place finish in a 10-team league. I'm not saying that's karma catching up to someone trying to stop something as great as white cleats from happening to baseball. But still, who's to say? You mess with the bowl, you know the rest. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Immortal Souls podcast. For more information, show notes, pictures, or just to say hi, check us out at immortalsoulspodcast.com, Instagram, or Twitter. Original theme music by Scott Spriggs. Five-star reviews are always helpful and hugely appreciated. Until next time, keep walking the roads less traveled.